0: Good afternoon. It is a great blessing to be here. We're very thankful to have many visitors with us. I hope that you will be encouraged and edified by our time spent together today. And if that is to happen, it's going to be because of the power of God's Word. That's where we want to keep the focus. Uh, That is what has the power to save, to build us up, to nourish us, to, to help us be who God wants us to be. If your Bibles aren't already open to uh, Matthew chapter 10, we will be coming back to this passage from time to time uh, if you'd like to go ahead and open your Bibles there. I want to real quick, before we get into the sermon, just kind of reiterate uh, some of the announcements that that Rick made. February 21st through the 23rd, um, that's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we're going to have a series of studies uh, through the first four chapters of Genesis that Carl Ballard from um, Charleston, South Carolina, will be leading us through. Uh, that, that'll that be Friday night at 7.30 and again at 8.30. Saturday at 2, 3, and 4 o'clock. And then Sunday, our Bible class hour, he'll be teaching a study and then he'll be preaching at 2 p.m. But want to encourage everybody to, to come to that if you are able. He and his family are considering... Uh, Making a move to Pittsburgh uh, to to work with the group here. And so we want to uh, try to take advantage of that time, getting to know him as as well as his family. We just sang the song Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Uh, And when we sing that, we're not primarily talking about physically standing up, even though we did that together. What we're encouraging one another to do in standing up for Jesus is to make our loyalty and support of Jesus and his cause known, to confess him before men, to firmly take our position in his ranks, to defend him in the public square. We just read here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33 says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Some versions say, whoever confesses me. And when we, when we see that here in Matthew 10, we're not simply talking about you know, our good confession that we make at, at baptism b- before a, a group of people. We're, we're talking about something that we do continually, <clears throat> that we are continually confessing our faith in Christ, acknowledging our service to him. Just as surely as confession is a condition unto salvation, confession must be the continual practice of the saved. We need to make a practice of making our faith in Jesus known. If we want Jesus to stand up for us on Judgment Day, we must be standing up for him. If we want him to be our advocate to the Father, we need to seek to be his advocates to the world around us. And so uh, today I want us to consider what it means to stand up for Jesus, how that should look in our daily lives, and also how we can overcome some of the shame or fear that we sometimes uh, struggle with that might hold us back from doing exactly that. First of all, we need to recognize that Christianity is not for cowards. Revelation 21 in verse 8, Jesus says, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable for murderers and the sexually immoral uh, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We, we look at that and we, we see murderers. We, we, we can understand that. Sorcerers, idolaters, sexually immoral, liars. But do you notice what tops the list? The very first thing he says is, but for the cowardly and unbelieving. Do do we often think of cowardice as a sin? Jesus does. In what sense? Well, I, I think we kind of see cowardly and unbelieving, cowardly and faithless kind of going together. And especially as you think about the context of the book of Revelation and the persecution that those Christians were going through. Cowardice meant not confessing Christ in the face of opposition. Not being willing to have the courage and boldness to stand up for him. And so being a Christian requires courage and boldness on our part. When our faith is tested, we must have the conviction to stand up and stand firm. Here, back in Matthew chapter 10, earlier in this passage, in Matthew 10 and verse 22, Jesus told his disciples, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Brethren, it should not come as a surprise to us. If people in the world around us hate us because of our faith in Jesus. Sometimes we, we get this picture that, that Christianity, you know, can, can be popular. That, that Christianity can be the, the cool thing to do. That's not the picture of true Christianity in the Bible. True Christianity is never going to be the popular thing to do. It's never going to be accepted to the world. Jesus says, my disciples are, are in many cases even going to be hated for their service to me. We see uh, the same idea of persecution in the book of 1 Peter if you look in 1 Peter chapter 2 starting in verse 20, Peter writes, "For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose." Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. I want you to notice that phrase, for you have been called for this purpose. What purpose is he talking about? Well, in context, he's talking about the purpose of suffering for doing what is right. Now, there's a chance that we might suffer for doing what's wrong. We we ought not to think that just because people hate us or just because we're persecuted, that automatically means we're right. You know, maybe it's because we're hypocrites. (laughs) Maybe it's because we are treating people hatefully. But if we are genuinely serving the Lord, we should expect that there will be times that we have to suffer for his namesake. That, in fact, is what we're called to. If we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, Jesus himself was hated. Jesus himself suffered because of his righteousness, not because of anything that he did wrong. And so if we are following in his steps, we, we ought to re- rejoice that we are, are worthy to walk in that same uh, path as he, because we know where those steps lead. In 1 Peter chapter 4, later on in the same book, in verse 12 and 13, Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If we suffer for being a Christian, it should not come as a surprise to us. Uh, you know, sometimes we think that if, if, if other people hate us, if other people dislike us, if other people aren't responding positively towards our faith or towards our efforts to, to share the, the message of the gospel, that we must be doing something wrong. You know, that, well, if people aren't responding the right way, then I, it, it must be my approach. It must be something that I need to change. Here he says, don't see that as a surprise. No, Jesus had many people reject him. Jesus was hated. And so if we are truly following in his footsteps uh, and we suffer for it, we should, in fact, rejoice in that. Because we know where those footsteps lead Again, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that, that every day, all day, we're going to be hated and people are always going to be trying to throw stones at us or anything like that. But brethren, if we have never been hated, if, if, we, if nobody has ever been offended or responded negatively to us, as a Christian, maybe we're not being the Christian that we need to be. Because here, time and time again throughout the scripture, it says that that is what we should expect. That is what Jesus himself uh, suffered here on earth. And if we are striving to reflect his character, we should expect that there are going to be times where we suffer the same. And so Christianity is not for cowards. Christianity is for those who are willing to be committed to the Lord despite how the world is going to react. That is what God has called us to. And so when we think about this idea of standing up for Jesus, necessarily standing up means standing out. I want to ask uh, Levi Eaton to stand up for a second. Uh, And since he's back in the corner, I'm going to ask him to step a few steps ahead. Come up here next to Stephen. Okay, and just stand right there. Thank you, Levi. Just a moment ago, we sang the song Stand Up for Jesus and everybody in this room stood up. Levi didn't think a thing about standing up then, right? Now Levi's the only one standing up. Probably feels a little bit different than it did then. (laughs) Thank you, Levi. You can go back and sit down. When we stand up in the world, we're not going to be standing up with everybody else around us. We're going to be standing alone. And so it's going to mean we're going to stand out. And so we need to to recognize that that we're we're going to stand out like a sore thumb if we're truly being who God wants us to be. And we see this concept in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to turn your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Here notice the illustrations that Jesus uses um, to describe our relationship with the world around us. He says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. In the same way, let your light shine. In what way? Well, here he uses two illustrations. He says a city set on a hill. That's his idea of being lifted up above the the countryside around, right? Where it's it's obvious it can't be hidden. We're going to see it. And a lamp set on a lampstand, raised up within the room. So it can cast its light throughout. That's the picture of what we are intended to be. You know, we, we sometimes sing that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. How, how, how do the kids sing that song? Do they say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine? Yeah. No. They say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We lift it up. We show it to the world around us. And it cannot be hidden. And so in our relationship with the world around us, it should be obvious. That's the illustration that God has given to us. That our light should be evident for miles around. And even, even the concept of light itself. You think at night, you look up into the night sky. And we can see stars that are millions of light years away. Why is that? Is, is our eyesight just so good that it, it can see millions of light years in, into the distance? No, it's because that is light. Surrounded by darkness. Light is able to show itself even light years away. That's the illustration of what we're intended to be. So brethren, if we are being the Christians that we need to be, we're going to stand out. It's going to be obvious. That's what God has called us to be. To shine our lights that he might receive the glory. We can't just blend in with the world around us. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 We're told, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can't fit the mold of the world. If we look just like everybody else and and everybody else thinks that, well, we're just one of the guys and, and, you know, we're we're no different than them, then we're not being who we need to be. We're told to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by God remolding our hearts and making us into something entirely different different from the world around us. Something that shows forth his glory, the glory of his character. And so there needs to be a clear distinction in our character, our attitude, and our conduct. Here in John 15, John 15 and verse 19, Jesus tells his disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. If, if everybody loves us, you know, if everybody in the world around us th- thinks that, that we're a great guy uh, or a great girl, it may be that we're not having the type of influence that we need to be. Because the world loves its own. The world needs to know that we're not the same that we're different, that we've been transformed by God's grace, by the power of the gospel. And so we need to make sure that, like Levi, we're actually standing up. If the world looks at us and we're just sitting down like like all of them, then we're not doing our job as Christians. We need to be standing up. We need to be standing out, um, that God might be glorified. But necessarily standing up also means speaking out. Now, you've heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words, and that's certainly true. But that's not intended to be an excuse not to speak, right? Because actions on their own don't fully communicate what God wants us to be communicating. We can't effectively shine our lights without holding up the light of God's word. Because there in Matthew 5, it says that people were supposed to see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. How is that going to happen? If if all that people see is my good works, are they necessarily going to connect the dots and glorify my Father in heaven? No, they're just going to think, well, Grady is a great guy, and he's really nice, and he's really generous, and and he uh, does what's right. Wait a second. Is God getting the glory? Why not? Because shining our lights isn't only about our actions. Now, the the point of actions speak louder than words is if our actions are in competition with our words, our actions are going to win out. Our words are not going to have the effect. But shining our lights necessarily means proclaiming the message of the gospel, shining the light of God's word. And so if, if we want people to truly glorify our Father in heaven, we have to be sharing the gospel. Can you imagine if the apostles uh, took the approach to evangelism that, well, we're, we're just going to go out and we're going to shine our lights by doing good works, but, you know, that, that preaching thing, you know, with actually teaching people, we're, we're not going to worry about that. We, we think that we can just do the good works and, and it'll accomplish what God wants it to. Would that have worked? <laughs> How far would the gospel have gotten? No, certainly. God makes it very clear there in Matthew 5 that our actions are a significant, foundational part of shining our lights. But it's not that alone. We have to shine the light of God's word. Look back in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 27. Jesus here told his apostles, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Here, we need to be proclaiming the gospel from the housetops. This isn't something just to be, you know, whispered in a corner somewhere. This is something that we need to be proclaiming. Uh, and, and we see the, the same concept down in verse 32. He says, so everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. What is that talking about? Is that just talking about you know, when you were baptized and maybe your friends and family and some of the brethren were gathered around and, and you uh, expressed your confession of your faith in Jesus as the Christ? We see that in the scriptures. But here, what we're talking about is not just a one-time thing. We're talking about actively confessing Jesus before men, before the world. But that needs to be our continual practice. We see this with the apostles themselves. If you look in Acts chapter 4, remember as the apostles of Peter, John in particular, are being persecuted, they're thrown into prison, uh, and they're commanded no longer to preach in the name of Jesus. They're brought out and it says Peter and John answered and said to them whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God. You be the judge for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. We cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Does that describe us? You know here Peter and John are thrown into prison. They're dealing with a situation where their very lives may be at, at danger. but That's not going to stop them from speaking about their, their witness of Jesus. What about us? Well, you know, maybe they won't listen. You know, Maybe they'll be offended. Maybe they'll, they'll get angry. Maybe, uh, you know, this, this relationship will be broken. Maybe they'll look at me in a different way. Many times things like that stop us from speaking about Jesus. We can't deceive ourselves into thinking that we would continue speaking about him even if thrown in prison. It doesn't matter what kind of reception we get from other people. It doesn't matter if they listen or not. It doesn't matter if we are persecuted. God has given us a message that we shouldn't be able to help sharing. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 encourages us to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Always being ready. I think sometimes, you know, I I struggle talking about Jesus to others because I I, I don't feel like I'm as equipped as I want to be. You know, I, I don't feel like I'm as prepared to talk to them about this or about that. But you know, there, there's one solution to not being prepared. Preparing. <laughs> and that's exactly what God has told us to do. We are to make ourselves ready that we, at any opportunity, anytime somebody asks us a question uh, about our faith, we need to be ready to share that with them. I think sometimes... We're like the student in the classroom who doesn't know the answer and so uh, you know, he's trying to, to shrink back and, and make sure that the teacher doesn't call on him. Uh, we, we need to be like the student in the classroom who knows the answer and is, is, is raising his hand saying, yes, I, I want to tell you the answer. That needs to be us and sharing the gospel with others because of the power and significance and importance of the message that we have been given Are we equipping ourselves for that? But there are some things that prevent us from standing up, from standing out, from speaking out to the world around us. Sometimes it is shame, Uh, very closely related with the idea of cowardness that we we started with. Uh, Shame often comes from an improper focus. Uh, In Mark's account of Jesus' statement uh, that we read, that Brad read earlier for us in Matthew chapter 10, in Mark's account, Mark 8 and verse 38, it says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We certainly don't want Jesus to be ashamed of us. And yet sometimes we can be ashamed of him. Why is that? Why would we even begin to think about being ashamed of Jesus? Well, turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to read verse 42 and 43. Here we read about some who were ashamed of Jesus. Verse 42 says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Why were they all worried uh, about how the Pharisees were going to react? Why were they ashamed to confess their faith in Jesus because they were focused on receiving glory from men rather than glory from God. If we do find ourselves being ashamed of our faith, being ashamed of Christ, it's because our priorities aren't what they need to be, because our focus is not what it needs to be. When we stand up, we must not be focused on all of the eyes around us, looking at us. We need to be focused on the reason we are standing up. We need to be focused on the one who we are standing up for. We see Paul's example in this. Uh, You remember in Romans chapter 1, the very beginning of that book, in verse 16, Paul makes the statement, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God For salvation. Where was Paul's focus? Was it on on how the people were going to react to him? Well, no, because just about every place that Paul went, he was chased out of town. You, You can imagine if he was focused on how people thought about him, that he would very quickly get discouraged. He wouldn't want to go to the next town. He knows how this is going to end, right? But that's not where Paul's focus was. He was not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. He was focused on the the importance, on the magnitude of the message that he had to share and the salvation that it would bring to lost souls in the world around him. And when that was his focus, it didn't matter how people responded to him. This is a message that people need to hear. Is that where our focus is? We see Paul encouraging Timothy to have that same focus in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 7. He says in verse 7 and 8, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Where did Paul want Timothy's focus to be? Not on the fact that Paul was in prison and maybe that would be Timothy in time to come. Uh, Not on how people were going to respond, what the consequences might be. But on the power and the love and the discipline that had been given to them by God. If we're truly focused on this message, on what we have seen and heard, we're not going to be able to stop speaking about it. We need to recognize the magnitude and the importance of what God has entrusted in our hands to share with the world around us. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, Peter writes, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. It's not shameful to be hated. It's not shameful to be rejected if the reason we're being rejected is because we are standing with the Lord. That's something that we can rejoice in because we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. I know for me when I first started preaching, uh, I I tended to get pretty nervous getting up in front of people. And it was rather uncomfortable. Um, But what I found is that over time, the more that I focused on the importance of what we were talking about and stopped focusing on You know, all all the the people looking at me and, well, how do they think of me? Is my hair messed up? You know, is is my PowerPoint looking okay? Well, yeah, if you think about that, you're going to get nervous. But if you think about the importance of what we're talking about, then none of that matters anymore. It doesn't matter if I stumble over my words, because I'm talking about something that's extremely important. So really, that needs to be our focus. Um, when, when we struggle with being ashamed, being nervous about talking to our friend about the gospel, it's okay. <laughs> because this is the gospel. These are the words of Almighty God, and that's what people need to hear. Let us be motivated by that. Not to be ashamed of the gospel. Not to be ashamed of Jesus. And sometimes, very closely related with that, we struggle with fear. Cowardice and fear also often go hand in hand but just this shame comes from an improper focus fear comes from a lack of faith in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26 you remember the situation where the the apostles are in a boat with Jesus and Jesus is sleeping down below and there's a great storm and there's waves and they're all worried that the boat is going to sink and so they go down and and ask Jesus do you not care that we're perishing Jesus says, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? What's the problem when we're afraid? We don't trust in God as much as we need to. Because faith isn't just some intellectual belief. It is a, a trust in God in his strength in his providence that he is in control. And so if we struggle with fear in standing up and speaking out uh, to others about Jesus, then we need to strengthen our faith. Sometimes we fail to stand up or speak out for fear of what ramifications we might experience. Maybe it will offend somebody or upset someone. Maybe it will cause tension in a relationship. Maybe it will break a relationship. I'll lose a friend. Maybe I'll be ridiculed or reprimanded. Maybe my employer will take action against me uh, for bringing up my religion in the workplace. Maybe the government will label what I say as intolerant or hate speech. But brethren, have any of us legitimately ever feared for our lives because we are talking about the gospel? (laughs) By God's grace, that's not something that you and I here and now experience. But you know those apostles who said we cannot stop speaking about the things that we've seen and heard? What kind of fears did they have to deal with? They had to deal with a very real fear that they themselves might end up crucified, that they themselves might end up stoned. But that didn't stop them. Why not? Look back in the passage that we started with, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 28. Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many, Spears. Here, why is it that we're not supposed to fear? First of all, because what happens to us in the here and now here on earth is not what's most important. Because there's something so much more important. And he tells us we, we need to fear God more than we fear the world around us. But then he immediately goes in not talking about God's judgment, but talking about God's care. That God even provides for the sparrows. How much more value are us, his children? Brethren, God is in control. And God may certainly allow us to go through trials and suffering, even die. He allowed James, John the Baptist, to be martyred for their faith. But God does not allow his children to suffer needlessly. We need to have a great confidence and great faith that God's in control. And that if I do, in time to come, even face a threat even of death, that my faith needs to be in the one who's conquered death. That that should not keep me from speaking of the things that I have seen and heard. That should not keep me from standing up for Jesus. I want to look at two examples of this kind of faith um, before we close today. First of all, in 1 Samuel 17, we're all familiar with the story of of David and Goliath. And here, we recognize David is just a shepherd boy. Goliath is a trained soldier. David is a young man. Goliath is a giant. Uh, It says he was six cubits and a span. We're talking about... Around nine feet tall. David had no armor. This is Goliath had armor weighing 5,000 shekels, which would be about 150 pounds. David had no shield. Goliath had a shield so big that a separate man held it for him. David had a sling with five stones. Goliath had a spear with a head weighing 600 shekels, which is about 18 pounds. So picture a spear with an oversized bowling ball at the end. That's what we're talking about. You think David, on an earthly level, had every reason to be afraid, right? But what was David's attitude? He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down. He says later that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Brethren, that is the kind of faith you and I need. That our faith is not limited to to what we see in in the here and now, to a worldly perspective. No, our trust is in God. And he's in control. And he can handle whatever trials, whatever suffering we may face. But there's one other example that's slightly different in character. And that's the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You notice here they have refused to bow down to the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And they are not fighting a battle that they might win or lose. They are being led to their execution, right? There's there's no uh, chance of victory here. But what was their response to King Nebuchadnezzar? They say there in Daniel 3 and verse 17 and 18, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The type of faith, that God calls on us to have, is not just a faith that he is able to deliver us, but to trust that if he doesn't, he's still in control and he still knows what best. We don't just trust his power, we trust his will. We trust his providence. And so we, brethren, need that type of faith, that we don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But if if we allow the fear of rejection or the fear of ridicule or the fear of of tension and broken relationships to keep us from talking about the gospel, could we really say that we would stand up in the face of Goliath, that we'd stand up in the face of the fiery furnace? We need to strengthen our faith, strengthen our trust in God, that if we will do his work, if we will stand up for his cause, by God's grace, we can have a hope that He will stand up for us. And there's nothing more important in this world. So what about you? As we set down our mirrors, what what do you see? Are we standing up for Jesus? or, Or are we the one kind of hunkering down in the corner hoping that nobody sees us? We need to be willing to stand up, ultimately, that, that God's light might be shown to the world around us, that they might come to glorify our Father in heaven, that they might come to know Him. Christianity is not for cowards. We must be strong and courageous in our faith, putting God's will and God's glory first above all else. Are you willing to stand up for Jesus? We're about to stand, uh, sing an invitation song. Um, And it is very easy for us to to sit here and sing along with everybody else. But what's difficult is acknowledging that there's something in my life that needs to change. Acknowledging that there may be some sin in my life that I need to confess before these brethren, to, to ask for their prayers, to repent publicly and turn back to the Lord, to recognize maybe that I've never committed my life to the Lord, that I'm not saved. And I'm lost in my sins, but by God's grace, if you're willing to stand up today, if you're willing to acknowledge your need for the salvation that Jesus has provided through his death upon the cross, you can confess your belief in Jesus as the Christ, you can bury the old man of sin in baptism, you can be raised to walk in newness of life. If you have some need today that's of a public nature that we can help you in turning back to the Lord and committing your life to him for the first time, that's why we're here. If anybody is subject to the Lord's invitation in that way, we ask that you'll come to the aisle as we sing together.